we're going to go from one until two o'clock. And uh, if you have questions that uh, we need to respond to and we have time, we will stay another 15 minutes or so and answer those questions. So please use your chat box and uh, we'll use it again for questions. Also, if we don't get to your questions, we're going to have another program like this. And I'll give you that date in a little bit, but uh, we'll have another program and uh, your questions will lead to what we're going to do the next time we meet. So be apprised of that. So also you can put in the chat box, your name, your school, uh, any information that you would like to for us to know about you. Also, this is being recorded and you'll have access to this recording uh, about an hour or two after we finish up. So uh, if you want to uh, bring that up, you certainly can. So remember, do that if you will. And also that uh, we will, you will get emails from all the panelists, or you, you'll get their email addresses. So if you'd like to contact us as a group, you can certainly do that. Uh, if you hear something individually that you'd like to contact that panelist about, uh, please feel free to do that as we give you that information. It'll be coming uh, after after we finish our uh, panel discussion. I want to introduce our panel. Some of you some of you know these folks, uh, but on my screen to the very my very left is Chris Jones. Chris is an associate professor at Longwood University, and uh, he's in the special ed program. And we welcome Chris. And uh, right next to me on my right is uh, Dr. Ch Todd Forget. Dr. Fajet is president of Ronis Systems. It's a uh, program, uh, if you will, business, a private business. Uh, they work with, he works with turnaround schools and those schools that are behind and want to catch up. Uh, the next uh, person is our lady on the panel. This is Dr. Marilyn Benton. Uh, she's executive director of Academics Plus. Uh, we work with uh, businesses and schools in terms of consulting and coaching. And uh, last but not least is Dr. Tom Miller. Who's, who is president of Bill, uh, Leaders of Building Leaders. And uh, we've known Tom a while, and uh, he works with schools and, uh, and school leadership. So we're uh, glad to have all our panelists with us today. And let me say something about these panelists. These are not just, as we used to say, eggheads. These are people, uh, they, they got all kinds of degrees, they got all kinds of letters behind their name, and uh, that's all nice and fine. But they also are operating businesses or programs that are in the schools right now. Like you, we, a lot of what we're doing is online uh, through Zoom, but we are working in the schools right now. So a lot of things that you hear are straightforward from people that we're working with and the things that schools are going through at this time. So I think you'll find it very interesting because it is up to date and, then, and you will be up to date if you stay with us. And so we are ready to begin. I hope everybody's on that's joining us. And we will go, we have questions that we have designed. And we, as we move that, our first question goes to Dr. Tom Miller. Uh, Dr. Tom, uh, during this return to school planning time, where should school leaders be spending the majority of their time? And what is going to get us back to school safely? Yeah, well, uh, thank you for this opportunity, uh, Dr. Benton. And, you know, first let me say, um, it's very courageous of you to put five doctors on a panel and only give them an hour of time, uh, you know, to share, right? And, and so, you know, number one, let's just everybody on this on this whole call know that leadership isn't a title, right? So, you know, we know what we know, but we're always learning every day too. So each one of you, there's 47 people on here right now, 
is a school leader. So when you ask that question, uh, Dr. Benton, like everybody is a leader in some capacity because leadership is influence. It has nothing to do with a title. It's got nothing to do with your degrees or anything to that. Those help because you have information to be able to do that. So, so I think it doesn't matter where you are on this call, whether you're learning to be a teacher, learning to be a principal, or you are a principal, or maybe you're a superintendent. You know, remember you have, you have influence over, over other people, right? And the biggest thing, when you ask that question, where should people be spending their time? The first thing they have to recognize is that it's the only way we're all equal in life is time, right? Quickly, how many hours are in a week, everybody? Who knows it? Put it in the chat box. Say it out loud. How many hours in a week? Come on. First one who gets it gets a prize here. <laughs> yes. Thank. Great job, Colleen. 168 hours, right? We're all equal in that way. Now, the difference is some people utilize their time better, <laughs> right? More efficiently than others. That's really what the difference here. And it's because those leaders understand what their priorities are, right? So my mentor, John Maxwell, I know, you know a lot of you learn, learn from John, he talks about the three R's, what is required of me, right? What it gets our organization the greatest return when I do it, and what is the reward for that? So you're responsible for lots of things, but you gotta know those three. You have to know, what am I required to do? And that means these are things that nobody can do for me, Number two, what does your organization get the greatest return at when I do it? And that means that anything at 80%, you know, that someone else can do, let them do it. You gotta empower them to be able to do that work. You gotta, you gotta stay away from having to do it all. <laughs> That's the, probably the number one problem in leadership is everybody's trying to do it all. And the last one, the reward is what fills your heart? Like what, you gotta stay in your strength zone so you can be constantly be passionate about what you do we spend too much time in our areas of weakness and that's, and that's really important. So where do they need to spend their time? They need to spend their time on what is most valuable to the organization and that's their people. Number one, they've got to be focusing on their people. And that means teaching their people what to do, how to be better leaders. That's what great leaders do. They create other leaders. So number one, understand what your priorities are Two, develop your people. Okay, be working on your people. And then three, set the vision of what a great first day or first week or first month or a whole year of school is. Like, what is it that actually that we want to see and achieve? What is it that we want our people to feel and encounter and experience? So that's, that's the leader's job is set the vision, understand the priorities, right? And develop people. If they can focus their time on those three things, they're going to be a lot more successful when we get closer to that first day of school because the first day of school is coming for everybody. And how you use the amount of time and hours from here to there is going to make the difference of how, of how that first day is going to feel to your people. So. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Marilyn, our question is, how do we assure parents that returning to school will be a healthy and safe thing to do? And what about the emotional support which may be needed to help all members transition successfully into the new environment? Well, Dr. Ken, and for those of you in the audience who don't know, Dr. Ken and I are married, and uh, and we typically refer to each other as Dr. Ken or Dr. Marilyn. So, um, and we're in the comfort of our home today, which uh, 
is a little different for the kind of work that we typically do, but needless to say, we're excited to have this opportunity to share with all of our audience members. But you know, this question is a question about which I am very passionate. And in fact, uh, I told the panelists before we got started that if I go too long and my husband cuts me off, I'll hear about it after the panel dismisses. So I have to be real careful here because I'm very passionate about our families and the children that we're serving. One of the things that I have great confidence in is I believe that our school leaders are going to develop very good plans for the return of school. I have confidence in that. I believe that they are following the guidance that's being provided for them. I believe they're consulting with the healthcare professionals and other leaders in our community that can help them craft a good plan that ensures safety. So that part of the message I'm not concerned about. <clears throat> but what I am concerned about is what are our school folks doing to assure our families that we are going to be prepared for them to come back to that safe environment. And so I'm going to piggyback on some of the things that uh, Dr. Miller shared. And uh, we share a common interest in John Maxwell and his teachings. And one of his strongest teachings is about connecting with people. It's all about the communication. And I believe that right now is a tremendous opportunity for our school leaders. And again, leaders are not just the building principal or the assistant principal or the guidance counselor. Leaders are everyone that make up that school organization who've been influenced in some way to be a part of that significant team at that school. And so I believe that right now, this is a critical time for our leaders to really focus on making connections with their families. One of the things that I'm hearing as I talk with parents and as I talk with school people is they're sending out surveys and they're collecting information. They're asking questions about what parents want to see and what they're expecting to happen when they come back to school. And while that is a wonderful solicitation to have to seek that kind of input, my concern still goes to that parent and that family who may not actually respond to that email. What about the other parents that maybe we're missing their input? This is a great time for our school leaders to make those connections with those families bring in uh, my, my suggestion is a what I call a customer service plan and we've run personally run this plan in our business uh, many times over where we would put together teams of people that literally sat down with phones and phone numbers and began calling and having strategic conversations with those families that might be a little more challenged to reach and um, I would encourage leaders to craft a couple of key questions uh, three questions that are real simple. One, hey, how are you doing? How's it going in your, your home during this time that we've been, uh, had this interruption in our instructional program? And number two, what kinds of things have you been doing? And number three, what can we do from the school side to help you have a good first day back at school? Now, what that does is twofold. One, it gives you some very specific information with families. But more importantly, it's building a relationship. And so if we want our families to feel good about the plans that we're gonna share with them as they return to our buildings, we've gotta be sure we've built a good relationship with them and it's one where they actually trust us. Parents who uh, feel that they can trust the leadership uh, are gonna feel very comfortable about the plan that's delivered. 
They may not like the plan, but they'll feel confident that it's a great plan. And so right now, leaders uh, connecting with families is so critical. Those of you who are new teachers, uh, I would encourage you to uh, begin to work with some folks uh, to develop those communication skills that you're going to need, those softer skills that often we don't uh, have exposure for or time for when we're in our training programs, but really observe people who seem to have excellent relationships with other people. Listen to the kinds of questions they ask, listen to what kind of uh, feedback they give, but note, I think one of the key things that you need to notice about uh, all of that connecting business is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So right now, if we want a safe return and our families to feel safe, we've got to make sure we've connected with them, we've built a relationship, and the trust factor has been built. Thank you, Dr. Mel. We move on to Dr. Todd for Jet now. Uh, Dr. Todd. Uh, this is more an academic question. How will school district assess educational gaps when students return? Sure, sure, great. And uh, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the uh, Focus on Education. And, and thanks for uh, joining us and for the question, Dr. Ken. I am going to uh, go ahead and quickly uh, just share screen um, for uh, a couple charts here. What, what we know regarding education gaps is that prolonged school closures have disproportionate impacts on student populations, right? Writer Owen Jones, he recently shared that COVID-19 is not some grand leveler. Uh, it's an amplifier, unfortunately, of existing inequalities, injustices, and insecurities. And that is what we need to be prepared to deal with when opening school this fall. The NWEA um, uh, or Northwest Evaluation Association, they released a brief uh, recently regarding uh, summer learning loss and how a review of summer, summer learning loss data could provide an indication of the impact school closures will have on student achievement and student achievement gaps. Their research indicated in reading uh, that students would return with roughly only 70% of learning gains relative to a typical school year. In math, students were likely to show much smaller learning gains, returning with less than 50% of learning. And in some cases, uh, students will return nearly a full year behind in math. So what we're planning for in the fall is the realization that student academic growth in reading, for example, last year, where we usually look for 10 months or more of growth uh, during a 10-month school year, student data may indicate only six to seven months of academic growth in reading. And unfortunately for math, we're only going to see uh, two to five months of academic growth. However, with this information, it's important um, because we can begin to surmise and plan for student grouping and possible curriculum and pacing impact. So, so what do we do? What do we do with that information, right? If we look to the departments of education in Florida and Virginia, for example, um, they remind us of that the, um, or remind us of the impact that reading and math has on student quality of life. And they're driving schools in their states right now to focus on reading and math as a priority. And they're calling on schools to prepare to continue to use assessment data, screening data, formative assessments, progress monitoring. We need to use that data to target students at their instructional level and accelerate learning. 
So as far as taking steps, what we're working with our schools on um, is first to dig into that current academic data on students. Do we have reliable winter data? Do we have any reliable spring data that we collected prior to closure? Can we align that data with the last known levels of intervention uh, students were receiving before schools closed? With that data in hand, we can begin to group students based on the closest instructional need we can identify as possible. That provides some sense of uh, class rosters and can really begin to impact school scheduling and assignment, regardless of if we are gonna be back in the classroom live, uh, if we're going to be hybrid or online for instruction as well. Then when students return, step two is we have to be prepared to step back into best practices and prepare for screening assessments. Those uh, assessments will result in or can result in regrouping and the possibility of adjusting placements based on student need. And, and here's why. If we, if we carefully group students based on instructional needs, we will be able to begin an accelerated learning process as fast as possible. So that, uh, that just takes us to uh, what's next, right? That leaves us with that reminder and moving forward. Re regardless of the phase we are in, when we're looking at uh, achievement gaps and uh, or educational gaps that students will be returning with, whether we're in school, hybrid, or online, we have to adhere to the simple framework of being data-driven. We have to remember that collecting and reviewing data leads to understanding and understanding leads to meaningful action then we can measure the impact of that action with the collection of more data thank you dr benton you'll clear your screen i appreciate it sure thing thank you dr jones good afternoon to you again and uh from your position at uh, longwood university what can higher education do to support LEAs in the situations that we're in at the present time? Well, you know, I, I'm really excited about this question. I think it's a great, a, a great question. Um, Todd took a couple of my minutes, so I'll be brief and uh, make sure we go into this. But I mean, Todd's point, or, or, I hope everybody was looking at that very powerful graph um, and was paying attention when Tom was kind of talking about everybody's a leader. Um, and Marilyn talking about these plans are coming through. School divisions are sending you their plans. This is what it's gonna be. All of those plans are gonna have to be modified. All of those plans are gonna change. And, and it's not because the divisions are short-sighted. Um, it's just because this is this leveling kind of playing field in some ways. It's everyone's first year. We're not real sure you know, what exactly we're doing. But if we put that framework in, uh, in some sort of context where, you know, we are doing that collaboration, where we are forming these teams. And that's when, you know, when I was approached to do this panel, I was like, yeah, sign me up, I'm in, because this is starting a team. This is the beginning of multiple disciplinary, a multidisciplinary team right now in this panel coming together saying, how can we support? And it really got me thinking about what higher ed can do. And, and you know, and right now higher ed, Basically, we, we work with school divisions and some of you guys, I know, um, you know, Ms. Council, I know you have been amazingly supportive of our students coming in um, for student teaching and practicum. 
Um, so we have an, a long history between higher ed and student teaching. We all remember those days. Um, the school divisions have allowed us to come in and do research and have certain partnerships and, and PD, but there always seemed to be a disconnect. You know, it, it almost seemed like all of our students were going into the school systems, but I started thinking, when was the last time? Been along with 20 years. When was the last time I sat down with Cindy Council and said, hey, this is my syllabus for behavior management. Is this what the students need? When was the last time I went into schools and said, what do you need from us? You know, and I think what COVID has done, it has gotten us to transform this collaborative relationship. And it can't be a one-way street. Hey, please take our student teachers. Hey, please do this. And then hire our graduates without a lot of consultation on the day-to-day -day learning that Danielle's going to have or that Courtney's going to learn. You know, we've got to establish those relationships and say, okay, tell me, take a look at my syllabus in behavior management. What do you think? You know, take a look at my math methods syllabus. Tell me what you think. Is this is what's happened? And we have to be real collaborative partnerships because all of these folks in this room right now are going to be leaders. And that might be very hard. But as Tom said, we are all leaders. Um, and you might not envision yourself, hey, I'm a first year teacher. Everybody's a first year teacher starting up this year. And we are going to have to modify those plans. So how are we going to do that um, with that partnership model is, Going ahead and Longwood, I'm very proud of, has kind of taken the lead at being able to say, we're going to reach out to teachers. We're going to reach out to you. And I want you to look at my syllabus. I want you to say this, hey, these are the three things in a math class that we really need to have these folks, you know, nailing day one. Classroom management, this is what we need. I want to get your feedback so that we can change what it is that we teach. Um, there's a second thing, and we've been doing a lot of this since March, is going in and taking a look at not just how do I deliver my pedagogy in face-to-face, -face, but we've like, okay, you might have to do this online. So how are you going to not stay in surface learning? How are you going to go in deep learning when you have a room that we're looking at right now? How do you utilize some practices so that these students can go into that application phase. Because Todd's graph scares me. A lot of it is because if they're not getting that application, and again, I'm picking on you, Cindy, a little bit, but you know if those kids aren't reading, if they're not getting in with that teacher and really applying those skills, they're not going to master that content. They're not gonna apply it. And if we stay surface, okay, then it's gonna be very challenging for us to get any transference of those skills. So how, you know, so part of our instruction now at the college level is teaching our candidates, okay, now how do you do this in an electronic medium? How do you utilize breakout sessions? How do you do some of these things? How do you make sure that these group projects continue? Making sure that they have those strategies. So that's on us in higher ed to make sure our candidates walk out and they know how to deliver an effective lesson there's some other things that we can do. Um, we can also utilize small informal. You know, back in the day, we always thought professional development, get everybody in, we'll get 50 people. Well, with what we're looking at right now, we can take a small group 
and we can just work together on a problem, bringing someone in from Virginia, from North Carolina. There's no constraints anymore. What I'm really excited about because of COVID is that somebody from Southampton County can work with somebody in Buffalo. New York, and they can kind of commiserate and be able to form those partnerships. And we don't have these geographic, you know, lines that are doing that. And higher ed can set the platform for that. We don't have to, we don't have all the answers. I think Tom said that very clearly. We don't have all the answers, but we can set the platform. And if we get very talented people together that represent this interdisciplinary focus, oh my gosh, we can come up with some great things. Because back to Maryland's point, these these models that your school division is sending out to you, they are going to have to change and school leaders are going to have to change. And someone in Buffalo might know exactly what needs to happen in Virginia Beach, you know, because they've already done it. If we then go in and there's another thing is, is showing how evidence-based practices can be delivered in this face-to-face -face, when we have social distancing how can we do group work how do we do collaborative work and higher ed that's what we're tackling right now and we can definitely be able to do that and i have 14 seconds and i'm going to get the last point um and it is again i think what's exciting we can all collaborate you guys can stay in this particular group regardless of your geographic location log in for 20 minutes all over the place and be able to take the ideas that are working and then develop them. Because I love the ideas that Todd was saying, let the data guide instruction teach at their instructional level, but we don't want to reinvent the wheel. If somebody's already doing it, we want to make sure we just take it and replicate it. So thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Sure. Uh, for the panel, we have, we have, exhausted about 25 minutes so we're right on time and i appreciate your candor with that uh tom we'll come to you come back to you with another question if you will how do school leaders get better results and create effective change without creating fear or feelings of being overwhelmed yeah so what a critical question and everybody's made really great uh, points on here and if everybody's listening like the common connection here Sorry, is, i didn't quite catch that could you please repeat it? Okay, I will, Siri. Hold on a second. <laughs> so the common connection here is connecting. It's about relationships, right? I mean, that's really what it is here because it doesn't matter what plan I put in place, right? It doesn't matter. I could have the greatest return to school plan ever created. If the people who are going to carry it out and experience don't trust me or have relationships with me or don't connect to it or don't abide, it's it's it will fail. That's that's you know culture, right? So culture is the worst behavior that's tolerated. It's the how we do things around here. So how do leaders create change? You focus on your people, right? So when I said from that first you know point, you know I've got to put my people in a place where they can feel and be successful so one of the resources that everybody will get is you know we've built a return to school task force you know outline and you know powerpoints and all of these resources for you to start that process if you haven't started already please do you, you know you've got to create change happens from the ground up right so just like 
Dr. Forge said, like, here's the data, here's our current reality. It's not our truth because we can change our truth. But the only way we can change our truth is to identify here's where we are and grow from that point. And you need people from the ground up to be able to do that. We can no longer make decisions as leaders in silos. It's a horrible leadership plan, <laughs> right? It's assumptive leadership. It's assuming everybody understands. It's assuming everybody has bought in. So fear happens because of the unknown, right? If anybody's been in a movie theater and if you're old like I am, you may have seen, you know, Jaws in the movie theater and you know that the shark is coming. You know that that sound happened, but still, you still feel the fear. It's not real. The fear comes because of the unknown of the next step. So as a leader, right, you get really clear on these three things, Todd, and I love this. You, you know, you, you, every teacher should know what will kids learn today? How will I know that they've learned it? And what am I prepared to do when they don't, right? When they do or they don't. So I have a plan. It's clear. It's based upon exactly where we start. So we start, we grow from where we are. So I got clarity in how I'm going to teach kids. I got clarity on what I'm teaching kids. And I got clarity on what I'm going to do after that. Clarity is king. But if leaders don't spend the time working with their teams, cascading communication and clarity about those things, that's where fear comes in and lack of trust and conflict. So what do they have to do? They have to be able to bring their people in, empower them to make decisions with a very clear vision of what we want to get to. And that's what's the hardest for leaders is being able to take things out of their head and communicate them with clarity so people understand what direction to go. Um, so just to wrap up, they got to have a clear vision, right? Communicate with clarity, put the right people in the right positions uh, so they can have autonomy with their responsibility to be able to create the best plan moving forward and to execute it. Yeah. As you're doing data, Dr. Miller, be sure and add Siri to our group. <laughs> I will do that. I'll add Siri to our email list. And I Please wanted do. to make sure um, Cindy had a really great question that's probably great for uh, Dr. Marilyn about how do we, um, how do we connect with those uh, families uh, that may not be responsive uh, right now? So I want to make sure we catch that as we come through the second loop. Okay. In, in response to that, uh, Dr. Marilyn, how do we prepare staff members for the change which will be required to promote a safe and healthy school environment? Uh, well, let me just say that uh, there's so much powerful information coming out of this today. Uh, I am just so excited about so many great thoughts. A couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, and I'm going to get to Cindy's uh, comment uh, or request for information there, but one of the things Dr. Jones said was when we go back to school, it's going to be everybody's first day at school. It's going to be everybody's first day. This is all new for everybody. And so that's going to be very important for leaders to wrap their heads around and for teachers to wrap their heads around. We're not going back to the things that we had done in the past. The first day of school won't look like what we've had in the past. And everybody needs to begin to get that mindset. And so to tag on to some things that uh, Dr. Miller is sharing, 
how do we help our people begin to understand what that mindset, that new thought process needs to be? And for me, uh, one of the most powerful thing is working through teams. And if you're a leader of a school, I would highly recommend that you begin to <clears throat> bring together your members of your various teams, whether it be grade level teams, uh, leadership teams, various teams that you've set up within your leadership, bring those teams together and you can do that virtually. You don't have to be on site, but bring those folks together and begin to have those very critical conversations about what's going to happen and really have an open forum where people can share and talk and really hammer out the details of that very first day. Um, one of the things that I've been excited to read about, and it's something that I believe in, and I believe in it strongly, is the power of practice. And this is going to sound a little elementary to some of you if you're in a leadership role, but I am confident that if you will execute on this, you will have some success on your first day. Uh, but I am reading about school leaders, and when I say a school leader, I'm talking about starting with the superintendent who are establishing their plans, and then they're having a dry run of their plan in their school district. And so they are identifying the roles and the places and where everybody's going to have to be on that first day and what that first day is going to look like when children arrive or when children go online. Whatever, whatever scenario they're playing out, they are actually doing that dry run and practicing to see what it feels like to work out all the kinks in the system and to, to identify maybe where they omitted something that could be very important in the actual uh, implementation of a plan. And so that sounds a little elementary perhaps, but I'm gonna tell you, we in education right now need to take some tips from our athletic teams. They spend a lot more time practicing what they're going to do on the field, the court, the baseball field, wherever, than they ever spend in actually playing a game. They spend tremendous amount of time practicing and coaching and reviewing. And so from a leadership standpoint, this is something that we really need to do as we move back into this first day to get our folks acclimated to the environment we're gonna be in. Now to tag along with that, within those organizational teams that you create in the school, and again, some of this is probably gonna to have to be done off-site. So, uh, and, and school people tend to be, we like teams, we like groups and we like working together and uh, that's just the nature of being in the, in the school business. But um, they, one thing I know about teachers, they can figure it out and they find creative ways to make things happen if they're given the opportunity. And so to attend uh, to Cindy's uh, request about those, those uh, more challenging parents to reach, you know, my heart goes out to uh, the parents that are more challenging to reach. And my heart goes out to them for several reasons, because one of the things that I know is I really work hard to understand. You know, Stephen Covey, one of his principles is to seek first to understand and then be understood. And so the idea of trying to understand where the parent is, what are they going through? And Cindy, I don't know you personally, but right now I have a sneaky feeling you're the kind of person that you jump on every resource you have available to you. Those resources, of course, are personnel within your school, your, your social workers, your counselors. Perhaps they are uh, parents uh, who require support from our English uh, language staff. 
Um, and it might just be just a personal connection because of somebody knowing them in the community. But it's the idea right now that we need to be seeking every possible resource we can find so that we can make sure we know where all of our families are. And it bothers me greatly when I hear folks say that they've not heard from some of their children and they don't know exactly what's going on with them. And I know we all have our concerns about being uh, safe as we navigate our communities, but I really believe that within the ranks of most uh, school systems, there are enough folks with connections that can help you make those contacts, whether it be, again, uh, relying upon maybe some of your school uh, health staff or even uh, some of our other community resources, including uh, services like uh, boys clubs, girls clubs, the YMCA, maybe even some of our uh, faith-based organizations. So rely upon the supports that you see in your community. Uh, don't let those folks be a stranger to you right now. Pick up the phone, give them a call, send them an email, whatever you have to do. But uh, it's a great time to establish those uh, partnerships. You know, parent and family uh, engagement is such a big piece of our school business. And in years past, it's probably always been the last thing on the list. And right now, we need to move it to the top of our list because we need all hands on deck to make this first day a best day. Thank you, Dr. Marilyn. Dr. Todd, we come to you again. Uh, what strategies will need to be employed for the fall to assist teachers in building culture and classroom routines in a virtual environment? Sure, yes, yes, that's a, a great question. And I think you're just gonna continue to hear the same theme, right, from, from uh, starting with, with Tom and, and leading into Chris and the Maryland, this, this idea of uh, planning is important, right? We have, to, we have to make sure that we're planning um, carefully and, and, and again, with foresight of what's occurring. At the same time, as you continue to hear, and you're gonna hear a little bit in this response, uh, the importance of communication and, um, and, and connectedness. So uh, let, me, let me throw up real quick. Um, what we have to remember, right, with reference to class environment and culture is that we, we might not know if students are going to be in school. Uh, are they gonna be hybrid or are they gonna be online? So when we discuss planning and strategies for building healthy classroom environments and culture, we need to be planning for each scenario. I'm a great admirer, our company as well, we're great admirers of Doug Lamov's work in Uncommon Schools. And recently they shared a core idea, which was to plan for everything so we're ready for anything. The, um, so the first thing to remember though, when planning class environment for any model right now is um, really focus on two core principles. The first priority, of course, has to be academic achievement, right? Students have to continue to learn successfully. We have to progress through the learning continuum with students. The second priority, though, is community culture and well-being. Students, staff, families, they all need meaningful opportunities to connect, to experience community and, and feel pride, especially after being quarantined, in some cases here in North Carolina, right, for as long as we've been quarantined. And unfortunately, in, in some of those worst cases, you know, we don't realize the additional tragedies that some families have been experiencing during uh, COVID-19. 
So when planning classroom environments, we need to take these two top priorities into consideration and make sure that the decisions that we make flow from those two priorities. When you sit down to do some planning, make sure that how does that impact my greater uh, goal of increasing academic achievement and or building that community. So uh, what works though, right? What works when establishing effective classroom environments, whether it's in school, virtually, uh, or online is what we need to dig into. And what we're doing right now with our schools is again, another theme you're hearing, keep it simple, right? We wanna keep it simple. We're doing that by using um, the three C's right now, if anyone's familiar with Linda Albert's work on cooperative discipline. Um, and those three C's being capable, um, making sure kids know how to contribute and that there is a connection uh, established. So when we talk about capable, right, um, and this goes, this ties back in again to some previous dialogue, students have to be capable of what you're asking them to do. That includes teaching them how to access classrooms, right? When we work in live classrooms, when kids come to us, we establish expectations, we actually practice routines. Well, the same has to occur in an online or hybrid environment. We have to plan out and practice routines that include logging onto the computer, uh, accessing Google Classroom or whatever platform you're using, uh, accessing the learning content practice or worksheet documents, and uh, of course, teaching kids how to turn in work as well. That means we have to plan for those things though, right? And more importantly, again, returning to that idea of practice, we have to practice them ourselves. And then we have to teach our students how to do that. Under the uh, idea of contribution, right, or how to contribute, students have to know how to contribute to the learning environment. How do I belong, right? What are we doing in our classroom planning to focus on community culture and well-being? A great way to do this is to provide students with meaningful ways to contribute to the environment. Consider how they can interact with each other. How do they interact with the teacher? How do they gain ownership over their environment and what are we doing to make sure they understand that the environment is created for them, not us, right? This can be tricky sometimes in uh, hybrid or social distancing scenarios, uh, but remember, it's not impossible. We've created more social networks um, uh, and micro communities during COVID-19 by leveraging technology than ever before. So we can clearly, we can do the same in our classrooms, right? We just have to be creative and think outside the box. Focus on how your students contribute uh, to your environment. And of course, the final C is the uh, connection, right? Returning again to that importance of relationship building. We have to connect with our students. We have to invest in live connection. And we may, again, we may think that's not easy in a hybrid um, or in a uh, online world. But uh, you know, we have schools that contact each individual student three times per week in their virtual environments. We, we have some schools where students, of course, don't have access to internet uh, or hotspots. Even though LEAs, our, our local education agencies, are busing, I, I, no kidding, they're busing, they're parking buses in neighborhoods and putting hotspots on the roofs of the buses so kids have access to the internet. And, and still, even with that, uh, we have kids without internet and or devices to connect to the internet. 
And you know, for those students, our teachers are calling them on landlines, right? That's how they're connecting. Teachers are reading to kids via telephone. They're completing fluency checkouts, practicing math facts. Um, they're talking with parents, not, not just about learning, uh, but in some cases about living, providing food updates for lunches, the, the hot breakfast, and in some cases just listening how, uh, to how their day was, right? So the bottom line is that we have to connect, right? We have to connect with our kids and with their families. And, and I think as Tom had shared, we have, to, we have to make sure we have that connection internally too, for ourselves, for our school, the culture that we live within. We need to make sure that we're experiencing community as well. So what, what, what do we take away from that? With reference to planning uh, effective classroom management, I hope it's this, focus on two priorities, right? Academic achievement, community, culture, and well-being. And whenever you start to plan your classroom, whether it's online, in class, or hybrid, consider what it takes to make sure the decisions you make flow through those two priorities. Uh, and if you need a little support, refer back, right? Consider those three Cs. Make sure your kids are capable of what you're about to ask them to do. Make sure they know how to contribute to the environment they're in. Um, and make sure that they're connected to you and, and each other in that environment. Thank you, Dr. Penn. Thank you. You clear your screen. Yes, sir. Dr. Jones, good to see you again. And uh, your question, how will a potential move to online education impact teachers, families, communities, and ultimately student success? Yeah, I think everything's gonna be exactly the same. So next question <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know i mean i think most things are going to be pretty similar and mo and many things are going to be radically different uh, and i think you know when you are taking a look at those uh as as cindy was talking about what do i do with those parents who you know are reluctant to communicate well guess what they're still going to be reluctant to communicate um this is not going to change anything but we have a few strategies because we all know that that reluctant parent sometimes doesn't want to come to our turf because they had such negative experiences with school and they automatically come in and they they have all those feelings and with the advent of electronic they can the, the turf is leveled a little bit and so we might see it's not going to be an instant fix but we might see some re-engaging but we're going to have to be real clear once we re-engage with parents what is it that we want them to do and it's going back to tom's question which i really like that he posted or his statement that he posted in the, the group chat is you know where's our priority sometimes are we considering more the school work or the relationship and you know and we set that dichotomy up but it's not it's 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 a relationship and i definitely think tom was 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 going in that direction because we know gosh i wish i could remember and maybe somebody can help me out on the effect size of teacher student relationships so if you could put that effect size in chat then we can on, on achievement um i i think that would help us a a, a great deal um but hattie's work clearly says that if you have a relationship using those three C's, okay, if you have a relationship, um, then that student's feeling capable and connected and is contributing in your classroom, then we are going to see, it's a shameless plug for my students who went through a, a deep reading of Hattie, 
but we can go in and we can say, look, if I've got a student teacher relationship, I'm going to, I'm going to do a three quarters of a standard deviation move for that kid because of that relationship. So they work hand in hand. So how are we going to get that relationship? And it's the same thing with parents. So in Cindy's request of, Oh, I got to keep it simple. You know, how do I keep things simple when there's so many complex variables? Go back to what uh, Todd was talking about. Go back to Lamov and begin with the end. It starts with planning. What are my learning intentions? Where do I want them to be at the end of this hour? Not at the end of the year, not at the end of the month, not at the end of the week. Where do I want my students to be at the end of an hour? And what is my success criteria? You know, it can't just be, well, I feel like it's better, but nail down that those, the success criteria for that learning intention. You know, I want them to be able to do X, Y, and Z and have those students be able to demonstrate that. And higher ed can really foster that by teaching our students, look, come up with your learning intentions. It's not just to get through the hour of instruction in a medium you don't understand. But if you can begin with the end, and work backwards, then it doesn't matter what medium you're using to deliver instruction, you have that goal in mind. And that goal isn't, I just gotta get through this class today. But the goal is, I've gotta get my students to this success criteria. And if we keep it simple, so sounds complex, keep it simple. You know, Roman a day, this new normal, we're not gonna have an expert way of doing it. Take one little thing, and become more efficient and be successful with it. What is your learning intention for being a teacher today? And what is your success criteria? And then celebrate your successes by being very goal-driven. So if we can be goal-driven that we say, okay, my goal today is to my river is going to be narrow and deep, not wide and shallow. That we are going to take a few concepts, keep it simple, and we're gonna go deep into it. Using that formula that we really need to be 20, 30% of our instructional time at a surface level. And we really need to be 70 to 80% at a deep level. And what is it that you can do during that teacher-directed time to accelerate that learning so those kids are prepared for deep learning activities is gonna keep it simple. But if you try to deal with every SOL objective, try to do all of these things, it's gonna be next to impossible. Now, parents, how can we influence parents? Well, parents, I think low-hanging fruit is they can really help us with the surface learning. They can be very successful to begin with. Hey, go over these five practice sessions so that this kid, we can build this kid's fluency, so we can build this child's stamina. Don't jump right into that. I wanna get them to the expertise role and I'm gonna give them you know, all of these uh, assignments that they go at home and do and overwhelm the parents. Start it pretty simple. Get your parents to be partners in building the fluency of those kids by saying, hey, here's, here's a worksheet, work with them on this, something that they can be partners with you. And being able to communicate, because you remember, it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes for a parents to drive to school. They got to take off work. Then it's 30, 40 minutes back. You know, that's a lot of time commitment for that meeting. You can connect with them, you know, electronically with five, 10 minutes, very quick. 
showing them how to do it, share the screen. I know Todd approached the subject of internet access. Um, we also know, back to Todd's original graph, that those students who, um, th those outcomes, we know at-risk students are gonna have much worse outcomes than that graph is even showing. So being able to begin with it and make sure that student, that our teachers are, are uh, our parents are getting massive support. Remember, Rome in a day, don't feel like you've gotta be a master of all this stuff, but be very goal-driven and say, you know what, I'm going to just set up where I want my kids to be at the end of this hour. And I'm also gonna plan where parents can be able to help us with that. Because we do, as Marilyn was saying, we can't get to that deep learning unless they've had enough practice. And we have to make sure that we provide that practice for them. The last thing I wanna to touch a little on is that concept that Tom was saying of fear. And that's what's driving everyone. It's the fear of the unknown. That's what's scaring you right now. I mean, some of you first year teachers, you already had an abundance of fear. Crud, I'm going into school. <laughs> when did this happen? I was just a freshman. Now I am actually have to teach. That fear is understandable. And I say, don't let anybody tell you, oh, don't be afraid. Don't let anybody say that that fear needs to go away. Embrace that fear. See what it's telling you. What is it called? What, why is it causing you to be fearful? The unknown. Well, guess what? The unknown is going to be known in about a month and a half. How are you going to handle that month? And it, the solution to that is surround yourself with other folks who are positively addressing their fear in groups like this in other support groups that fear can be eradicated through a plan i have a plan i am no longer fearful or not as fearful i have no plan and i'm winging it <laughs> i'm pretty terrified how do i get my plan begin with the end get yourself a social network of folks in other divisions communicate collaborate but embrace that fear, but that fear is gonna go away. It's just a matter of how productive you're gonna be with that. So thanks for that opportunity to answer that question, Dr. Benton. Thank you. Panel, we've got about eight minutes left for the hour and before we go into the questions, but uh, we don't wanna cut you off, but just let you know what our time frame is. And I'd like to have each of you answer one more question before we go to the chat box. So, Dr. Marilyn, we come to you. Uh, what can principals do during this time of waiting to build community with their staff members? Well, you know, Dr. Ken, this is a, a great question, and it so ties into the comments that have previously met, been made by uh, the panel members here. And uh, just that reinforcement of you've got to make those connections with people. You've got to build those relationships. Um, I'm, I'm really concerned about our newest uh, staff members that are coming into our schools, those who are gonna be new to uh, a learning environment. And I would encourage uh, the building leaders uh, to certainly make plans to provide support for new folks as they're coming in and to get them acclimated into your learning environment. And again, the very things that we're gonna do for students to make sure that they are, they are comfortable in their environment, that they know how to manage the, uh, the tools and the expectations, that they know how to 
what they need to do to contribute to that environment and then to be connected. Those same things that Dr. Todd talked about are the same things that our teachers need and especially folks who are going to be new into uh, a community. And so administrators right now uh, really need to spend that uh, quality time of organizing uh, networks within their network of organization and they need to spend time making sure that there is some form of connection going on. Uh, we have found that, uh, of course, Zoom and other uh, uh, social media platforms are certainly good ways to uh, build teams and to give people an opportunity to come together. And uh, you, can, you can use that time for fun things uh, just as well as you can use it for instructional and informative sessions. But I think that the, the leader who is going to have the most success is going to be the one who has really worked to make sure that those relationships are built and that people are connected within their organization. And this, you know, this is a topic we could spend hours on. I'll move on because uh, others need to share on their topics as well. But uh, please folks, we encourage you to take to heart the things we're sharing with you today. There's not any rocket science here. Uh, it's all pretty simple and pretty practical, but we just need to use these skills that we have right now to make it a great first day. Thank you, uh, Dr. Tom, in a few minutes. Uh, what opportunities do you see coming out of COVID-19 for schools to be stronger, more effective, and make a greater impact? Yeah, so let me just say this. A lot of people came on this call because they wanted new ideas. Well, here's the thing. You don't need any more new ideas, right? We got too many ideas. There's, if you want to learn about virtual school, you know, reach out to a virtual you know, charter school and you know, learn what they do. You want to learn how they're keeping the kids safe? The whole eastern side of the world is doing it now. Identify what they're doing and bring it in, right? So what we need to do coming out of this is leaders need to identify what works in my school to get to the desired outcome that we've put forth. Now, most of the problems is most schools haven't defined what success looks like. They don't have set goals. Well, guess what? A goal without a plan is a wish, so you're perfectly fine, I guess, right? So what we need to do is we need to get clarity on, on, on where we're going, clarity on what's going to get us there, and everything else, Dr. Benton and the panel, needs to fight for its life to be part of your school atmosphere. And if it doesn't help us get to the goal, you got to take it out back and shoot it. It's done. Eliminate those sacred cows from your organization and be able to move forward. I mean, listen, we're 3D printing esophaguses right now to keep people alive. Like, we're going to figure this out. What we've got to stop doing is being, you know, idea rich and execution poor. We need to, we need to take the idea and, and find the data that tells us whether it's working or not. And if it's not working, then we got to stop doing it, right? Or, or do it better, right? You adjust the plan, never the goal. So, that would be the one thing I'm going to say. We're going to be leaner and meaner if we evaluate what works and eliminate what doesn't. Okay, thank you. Dr. Todd, uh, what is professional development going to look like turning speakers and uh, consultants not being able to come into the school possibly? 
Sure, sure. And first thing is, uh, I, I agree with uh, Tom 100%. If, uh, you know, we're, we're very good at writing uh, goals and plans, we're, we're not always very good at uh, execution uh, of those plans. So I think take that forward with this discussion on professional development. And, and just remember, be thinking, be advocates for yourself, for your school, for your team, for your students. Your professional development um, needs should be identified right now. And uh, if they are one and done sessions, uh, you, you need to say, no, thank you. They need to be um, uh, ongoing. And uh, you need to make sure that the professional development sessions that, that you're looking for um, include some type of ongoing support. Uh, with that said, professional development is, uh, is, is, is rolling. Um, and, and we want to encourage and remind schools that uh, even though some professional development opportunities may not be live, just like some classroom instruction may not be live, um, professional development providers are working both synchronously and, in, and uh, um, uh, asynchronously with reference to virtual support that they're providing. So don't be, um, I would say, don't be deterred um, right now with professional development because as, just as, as effective as this session can be in sharing information, um, so too can the professional development. And we have some schools, you know, we work up and down the East Coast ourselves. Some schools have uh, tried to invite us in and, and we've, uh, depending where our consultants are, um, in certain states, we uh, explain that we, we can't uh, send them in. But if we have internal state uh, consultants, then we're able to uh, work that way as well. So um, so that would be the, the short of it is um, professional development uh, needs to be occurring. It can, you cannot um, start this school system void. And there's plenty of funding out there through the CARES Act. Uh, but again, takeaway is make sure that any professional development that you are uh, encouraging or looking for um, avoids that one and done scenario. Uh, uh, John, we're going to uh, go over to you now, if you will. Uh, what changes will higher education make provide robust training for the new, co new cohort of teachers who might have to provide online instruction? Well, you know, higher education is known for being its lean, well-adjusted, adaptive <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> higher education um, uh, gets a little behind. Of course, the wonderful university that I work with um, are forward-thinking. And I think the things that we're going to do is, is that we've got to, our changes are going to come if we're smart and we do do this well is our changes come from the, the communication from the teachers in the field and understanding what they need. Us sitting in our offices saying, well, this is what teachers need, that those days have to, to, to kind of go away. Um, what we need to do is we need to roll up our sleeves, get our fingernails dirty, and be collaborative partners. And many universities are doing that. Um, we, need to, we need to come in and we need to, to listen um, and then use, utilize our resources. How can we be part of this team? Not the soothsayers, not the, not the leaders all the time, but how can we be a, a collaborative member of, with, with the school systems? And everybody wins when that happens. Um, because we got to eradicate this notion that fear is necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, fear motivates us. Changes like this that have occurred, they happen all the time in, in our country and in the world. And great things happen or really horrible things happen. And it is up to the individuals that are in the field to determine what direction that goes. Um, it is not gonna be somebody from VDOE or whatever Department of Education you're affiliated with that comes in and tells you, here's your answer. 
and those individuals waiting for the answer to come down from the mountain, that is not going to happen. It's just not. Um, and you should not fear that because those answers are usually wrong and ineffective. Um, so you, at a grassroots level, using those tools, higher education, um, these wonderful professionals here are, get, are, are, are what's going to sustain you. But you can't violate those assumptions of teaching children at their instructional level. At the end of the day, we've got to teach kids at their instructional level. We've got to use data to guide our instruction. We really don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know? And as long as you don't violate those assumptions, you know, and whatever it is you're doing in your collaboration, you're going to come out of this okay. And the last thing that I want to say is everybody here, you are a heck of a lot stronger than you think you are. You are a heck of a lot better leader than you think you are. Um, so have confidence. Self-concept has a somewhat of a high effect size. I wish I could remember what the effect size was for self-concept. Um, but uh, without a doubt, um, go lead. I'm done, Dr. Bear. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> my dramatic pause, Dr. Mesmerized. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Chris just made a really great point, and there was a, a great question about how do brand new teachers lead up. There's a John Maxwell book, it's called A 360 Degree Leader, and it's about how do you lead up and down you're all leaders, right? So the hard part is going to be, you're gonna come into a, a culture that's already there. Just start by asking questions. Hey, how can we do it that way? Is it getting us the results that we want? Is there a way that we tried? Could we try it better, right? You gotta find the pockets of influence in an organization and, and see where that is. So before you knock the fence down, find out why it's there. It's probably one of those sacred cows so just keep leaning on it right? and just keep asking good questions. Um, that's really going to help because I see brand new teachers all the time just get sucked into the culture and they get pulled in by those crabs of the bucket. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not always good. Right. So just remember your values and who you are and just keep asking great questions. Tom, can I, can I add to that? Um, because you are so right. Uh, I shared with a couple of administrators this week the idea that as you have new staff coming into your school, whether it's a beginning teacher or someone who's just new to your school, uh, they've taught somewhere else before, please, please make sure in any discussions that you have, you include them in the discussion. Be sure you ask them for their input and their ideas. And uh, just so that we, because in letting them know you're going to be receiving people who do have some new ideas. And now is the time when we may need to hear some of those things and maybe consider some of those other options and maybe get rid of some of those sacred cows that have not been as effective as maybe they could have been. Mm -hmm. So good point. Yeah. And, and, and I know Tom, you're trying to jump in. I mean, uh, Dr. Benton, Benton, you're trying to jump in, but I, one little cue here when you talk about leaders, Okay, and a lot of people have strong voices. But here's a little litmus test. If the person who is posing as a leader is only leading by giving an anti-treatment, they are not leaders. If all they're doing is whatever's established and they're just coming up and saying, no, we don't need to do that, we don't need to do that, and they have no alternative, don't follow that. Um, make sure that somebody has a comprehensive 
alternative to whatever it is that they're trying to, to knock down. Everybody, anybody can go and say, I'm against this. Okay, well, what are you for? So be very careful of those individuals that are just running around saying, no, we're not going to do this. We can't do this. They are not your friend. You're already tried it. It don't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't work. Miss Muttner, no. <laughs> We've already been there before. Yeah. Hey, everybody, I can mute Dr. Benton if that'll be easier. If we just mute him. <laughs> he opened up the floodgates by giving us chaos. So you do need you do need a leader here, you know. Uh, so let me lead on. Uh, Tom, do you have a particular question that you might pose for Dr. Fajet on the chat? Um, you know, I think we've addressed most of the questions, but they really if you see on the side, you know, a lot of the learning is from the three C's and keeping it simple. So I don't know if there's anything, you know, Todd, that you saw that you want to, you know, hit on that. For me, look, every plan will work. The plan that works best is the one you choose and implement and just do it with fidelity until it tells you it's not working. And that's a big issue. And that's why you've got so many different you know, you're doing cahoots and you're doing that. The schools that struggled the most with this turnover, with the turn from, you know, brick and mortar to a remote were the ones who don't have clarity in their plans because everybody was doing something different. And when everybody does something different, it's hard to manage the things uh, within that system. And so, you know, Todd, I don't know if that's, you know, also part of your data too, but I would be really, that, that would be interesting to me about how hard it was for schools who don't have a plan, <laughs> how hard it was then to turn over compared to a school that has a lot of clarity with their education plan. We're just gonna do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, no, absolutely, Tom. And, and uh, I, I love the connections being made with the three C's and we're, we're huge advocates of, uh, of that idea of execution. We, we run through, um, we've heard a little bit about Maxwell, uh, a little bit on, on the Covey side as well, the four dimensions of execution. Uh, and again, that idea of, of having identify your wildly important goal, um, choose those lead measures that, that you can make the greatest impact with. And then, and then the two pieces we miss sometimes is creating a scoreboard, right? You have to know if you're winning. Uh, if, if you put a plan in motion, you should be able to track your successes uh, and then commit to uh, uh, what they call a cadence of accountability as well. So, nope, I appreciate that very much. I think execution is the key. Uh, again, often we're very good at writing plans. I've, we've written lots of plans. Um, being able to execute on them is the key. Well, good. I thank you for all your comments today, panel, and we appreciate your uh, excellence in education here on Focus on Education today. And those of you who joined us, we again thank you for coming today. Remember that we will have another panel discussion on July 22nd at one o'clock. And of course, we'll be posting things about that so that you can join us again. Uh, we will uh, focus on uh, some other things at that particular day and, uh, and maybe finish up some of the things we started today. Uh, in a couple of hours, you should have, uh, be would be posted the uh, program that we've had today. It's been videoed and uh, we will look at your chat uh, request. And again, you will get all the emails from the uh, different panelists. Uh, please feel free to contact them uh, individually uh, if you have other things you'd like to ask or you can uh, contact us individually. But we look forward to doing this for a while and uh, it's been a great afternoon. I'm glad I was here. I learned a lot and I hope you did. 
and we look forward to seeing you again on July 22nd. So have a good afternoon and panel, thank you again uh, for being the experts that you are and for the information that you gave us today. Thank you and we wish you all a good day and good afternoon. Thanks everyone. Have a great Wednesday. Bye-bye. Hang on panel. <laughs>